Uh, I'm a little bit nervous this evening. Uh, appreciate the testimonies and everything. Sometimes when you uh, preach, um, you are more comfortable with certain messages. And let me say this, when I, uh, early on, uh, when I announced my call to preach, I was blessed to be uh, near some men of God that... Um, help me, teach me, guide me, direct me, and lead me along the way some. And one of the things that uh, a lot of them told me, they would give me sometimes little pieces of advice. And um, all of them were quality. And I've shared this with a lot of young preachers. I'll share with you real quick what they were. It's all right. It's fine. It's good. No, this is good. I appreciate it. Um, Dwight McClure told me, he said, you're painting pictures with words. He said, figure out exactly what picture God wants you to paint and get up and paint it. Uh, Pastor Jackie told me, he said, don't just get up and feel 20, 30 minutes in time. He said, instruct the people, say something, give them something. Don't just get up and give a bunch of ramble just to fill time. Right there is how I feel this evening. <laughs> I don't want to just get up and give you something. I don't want to just feel this moment in time. And uh, I had some other ones that are very valuable. Probably the hardest one that I have found, two of them, a guy out our direction by the name of Dick Lanville, uh, he died quite a few years ago. He was 96, 97, 98, something like that when he passed away. Preached for many, a great number of years. You all probably heard of him, uh, possibly, I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, but he, I asked him one time, I said, Preacher, I said, if you could give a young preacher a word of advice in one or two sentences, what would it be? And he thought for about five or six seconds, and he looked up at me and said, keep preaching. When he told me that, I thought, well, that's simple. Well, I got some very uh, blistering, mind-blowing uh, I thought it was when he said it. I was a young, brass kid and thought I knew it all, and uh, it's not as simple as I thought it was. Frankie Chapman told me the one that maybe the hardest. He said, you get to the place, and I'm embarrassed to say this, where you can't say the word hell without crying, and you stay there. That's probably, that one's probably as solid as anything that I've ever heard. And that'll fit you all. You don't have to be a preacher to live there. The word hell should scare us. It should shake us. It should stir us up. It should do something to us. I don't know exactly what all hell is going to be like. We know that Jesus spent more time preaching on that subject than he did heaven. I think sometimes we as humans, it's almost as though we can relate to hell better because we are, this is our hell. This is, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, this is as bad as it will ever be. Uh, I thank God that I don't have to face anything worse than this. Uh, it won't get any worse than this. And let me say this, and I'll try to get into the message. Maybe God's going to lead me in a different direction here. I don't know. But anyway, um, in your testimony, a couple people mentioned, especially one of your testimonies, about how our country, our world is going in such a, a, a bad direction. In the state of Maine right now, in the university in the state of Maine, a professor got up and told his students that there was only two biological sexes of humans. 
the students are in such an uproar that they have demanded that professor be fired. I, don't, I can't wrap my mind around that. So he gets up and tells the truth, teaches what is biologically, medically, 100% clear evidence, and he should be fired. When did the students get to dictate to the teacher what is taught? When did that happen? Uh, I thought you went to school to learn from the teacher, not to teach the teacher. I guess, guess we got it all wrong. I don't know. Um, but God wants to teach us something. Let me encourage you. You're not going to teach him anything. Uh, he's been where you're trying to go. And he's already come back. Turn with you to the book of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I'm going to pull a page from Caleb Lindsay this evening. I won't scream like him because I'm not capable. I still laugh when he talks about a pastor in Ohio and Columbus that gets him to come and preach on the street, a tent revival he has every year. And the reason he gets me is because I'm loud. And everybody can hear him throughout that city. And it's one of the, one of the most gang-infested, one of the worst places in that city that he preaches, that this church, this guy set this church up at. Mark chapter 6. I'll give you another minute to find it. Again, appreciate the good-looking crowd of sitting. Appreciate the testimonies and the thoughtfulness that means so much. As I've told you, uh, I probably needed this church as much or more than you needed me when I came here. And you folks have been so kind to my family and I. It's amazing to me how generous and thoughtful and kind you have been through the years. Uh, I have grown a lot. Uh, being here as pastor, I don't have much for choice. It's either I grow so you can grow or I I stand still and you stand still. So I pray that I have done so. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Everybody there? And he went out from tents and came into his own country and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach at the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this? which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. So obviously they had seen evidence. Clearly there was evidence there, something that had happened for them to witness and experience his words. Could you imagine Jesus speaking? You think the Apostle Paul or John the Baptist was something or, some, or Charles Spurgeon or some of these other preachers we've heard. Man, I mean, there was nothing compared to Jesus. I, I couldn't imagine what it would be like as him in the flesh standing there preaching and hearing his words, how authentic, how real, how powerful, and, and in line. Everything was, was perfect. Every word was exact where it needed to be. Every thought was straight in line with the way it should be. Nothing out of place. He never one time had to get up after he preached and said, I shouldn't have said that. He never looked back on a message and said, why didn't I make this point? He made the point. <laughs> he is the point. Anyway, let me move on. Verse 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joas, and of Judah and Simon, Judah, I'm not really sure how you pronounce that in any way, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin and in his own house. Notice verse 5 and 6. 
And he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around about the villages teaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together. And God, we thank you for this day that you have brought us here, Lord. And God, you have so blessed us beyond comparison, beyond words, and we thank you for that. God, I pray, Lord, for this time. God, I pray that you give me the words needed, Lord. To, uh, God, just the um, thoughts that I need to put in place here, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you guide me, you direct me, you give me anointing, you give me unction. Lord, use me as you see fit. God, I don't want to just feel 30 minutes in time. Please, Lord, help me not to waste nobody's time, especially yours. And God, I thank you and I praise you for being here with us tonight. Thank you for everything that's been said and done. Touch the hearts of each one that are here. In Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, one thing, a couple things I want to point out to you here when we get into the message. Uh, we know that here was in his hometown and these are people that watched him grow up. They watched him from a child and they seen who he was. And I don't know exactly uh, how things were. I don't know if Jesus always won every game that they played. I don't know if he won every chess match. He could have. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I've heard people give different opinions on these things that uh, he was not a perfect child. I, I have a hard time believing he wasn't to a large degree because he wasn't perfect. I don't know if, he, if, if Joseph and Mary switched him from time. I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they had uh, here they, these people had seen something in him, but what they looked at and what they did not see was who he really was. They compared him to everyone else. You cannot compare Jesus to everything or everyone else. He stands alone. And therefore, you should not compare yourself to someone else oftentimes as we do. We look at other people and say, well, I uh, don't do this and I don't do that and I do this and I don't do that or so on and so forth. We compare ourselves to others for the measuring stick. That is not your measuring stick. It is Jesus. He's the measuring stick. And we find here work said that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. Notice what the Bible says. That doesn't call that a mighty work but we consider that the greatest thing that ever was. You think about it, one of the greatest things that we think about is seeing someone healed from a sickness but the Bible says that's not even a mighty work. I don't know exactly what all uh, you can say a mighty work is. That seems pretty powerful to me but here the Bible saying that's not much. I'm going to tell you, and I've said this many, 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 many times, the greatest, most powerful, most mighty work you will ever experience is seeing someone born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, washed clean, brought alive by Holy Spirit and the unction of the Word of God in their hearts, delivering them from sin, making them a new creature, giving them a life, giving them, making them whole. Hey, thank God that is the greatest miracle you will ever see in anyone's life. Ever. But in verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around about the villages teaching. The seated, I want to preach to you what's your unbelief? Do you need help with your unbelief? There's time, two times, and Janice mentioned this. I preached on this before years ago, and I have a couple times. Maybe again, the Lord willing to allow me. But the word it talks about Jesus marveled twice. One time here is because of unbelief. The other time is because of someone's faith. I'd much rather have him marvel at my faith than my doubt and unbelief. Sometimes we need help for our unbelief. So what do you need help with this evening? Where does your unbelief need help? 
What do I need to help with in your unbelief? Well, here we see the reason for their unbelief. Number one is because of their sin. You look back again, and it said that they were offended at him. That word means to stumble, to sin, to cause to sin. Because of their pride, because they put themselves on the same level as Jesus, they were offended. They thought, I'm just as good as he is. Who does he think he is? And he marveled at their unbelief. Could you imagine God sitting on the throne and looking down at this particular time, seeing what was taking place? They had already had said, they had already been amazed and astonished at what he said. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I've heard very few people speak as far as just natural speaking that I was really impressed with. I've heard a few preachers I was impressed with. I've heard some testimonies I was impressed with. I've heard some songs I was impressed with. But I've not heard too many things outside of the Bible that I've been impressed with. Maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. But we, we find here that they were astonished at what he said and what he did. But yet when it came to belief in Jesus, they said, well, we don't believe in him. So what is it this evening? What sin is in your life sometimes that you're not willing to let go of that's keeping your unbelief from being fixed? Is there something there that stopped you from getting your belief fixed that because of unbelief, Jesus is marveling at you this evening? I would much rather have him marvel at my faith and my unbelief. Not the other way around. I've often thought about this. I thought, could you imagine standing there in this synagogue and there's people all around and there's his family. There's uh, out our direction and I'm not going to say what church, what preacher, but my dad asked a preacher one time that lives in a certain community with a certain church. He said, how come they've never got you to preach a revival there? He said, because a prophet is not without honor saving his own country. Why is that? Because they know you the best. They see your everyday life a lot of times. And people in your house are the ones that know you better than anyone. Though that's the reason why the people in your house are the hardest to witness to if they're lost because they see your lack of faith in places. They see your faults. They see your sin. And listen, if there's a sin in your life that's keeping you from unbelief, look at what happened to these people here as your example. You say, a preacher, but I don't, you don't understand. You're probably right. I probably don't understand. But I understand enough to know that if there's a sin in my life, God has sent a remedy to fix that sin, to cure that disease, to cure that problem so that I can have belief in him to get to the place he needs me to be, to do what he wants me to do, be who he wants me to be. And that's like him, honor him, directed by him. Thank God I've got everything I need from Jesus. He sent it all. He sent the unbelief fixes and it's time you and I use them for his glory. He sent instructions right here. You've heard me say many times that the most complicated thing I've ever been handed was that 13-year-old boy right there and that four-year-old girl. First time Drew was our firstborn, I held him. You've heard me describe it just a week or two ago. I looked at him and I thought all the emotions going through me, I had joy and I had fear and I'm not sure which one was the greatest. But I was scared. I thought, you mean I'm responsible for this? Can we do something with him for a little while longer? I'm not ready. No, no, he's yours. And they sent us home from the hospital. They didn't give us an instruction manual. They didn't give us a tutor. They didn't give us a 1-800 number to call if you have any questions. They said, there he is, he's yours. The most complicated thing I ever received, I didn't get much instructions with. 
got a few remedies on how to put a diaper on, how to make a bottle, and a few other things they told us, but everything else I needed was right here. This is your unbelief fixer. Use it. If there's sin in your life that's keeping you back with unbelief, get it out of your life. Look at these people for an example. It's in Jesus cannot do many mighty works there. Is there something in your life you need him to do, but he can't and won't do it because of your unbelief? Because of a sin. It's not going to change. He's not going to magically wake up. You're not going to magically, well, he ain't going to wake up. You're not going to magically wake up tomorrow and him say, okay, you know what? I changed my mind today. I'm going to go ahead and fix that for you just in the condition you're in. It's not going to happen. You're going to confess that sin and you're going to get it straight. I don't want to go down in history as another people that Jesus cannot do many mighty works in my life because of unbelief and because of sin. All right, let's look somewhere else. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. Let's look at another story real quick. I said it's going to take a page out of Caleb Lindsay's book this evening. You all know I normally preach expositorily. It's just the way God led me this evening. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 14. I'm going to tell you most of the story, then we'll pick it up. This is mentioned in three of the Gospels. It's not in all four. Remember, very full, very. Very few are mentioned in all four. Most of them are mentioned in the first three, the synopsis as we call them anyway. In verse 14, uh, the, this Gospel of Mark does not record this uh, particular fact, but the other ones do, that the, the man brought the disciples, the, his son, he was uh, possessed with the devil, he had tormented this kid from the time he was young, they could not cast him out, so a big crowd came around checking all this out, and they said, what's going on? And Jesus walks up and says, uh, in verse 16, what question he with them? And the multitude explained what was going on. The man explained what was going on. In verse 19, and he answered them and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto, and they brought him, unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long ago is it since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So here, this man brought him to the disciples. He brought him to the ones who he thought could fix the problem, who could help him, and they couldn't do it. So now this man's faith is starting to creep in with some unbelief. If somebody brought something to you as a Christian and you looked at them and said, I can't help you or has your actions painted that now let me say something there's people that's brought me problems let me say this as a pastor there's a lot of times you don't have to bring stuff to me I'm already concerned about you and there's a lot of you that if I could I would come to you personally and look at you and say if you don't quit doing this and if you don't quit doing that and if you don't do this and don't do that here's what's going to happen but I wonder how many of you would accept that if I came to your house and did that. Sometimes I'd really like to. Because you may not see what's ahead of you by some of the actions and things you're doing. But there's, there's trouble ahead if you don't do what's right. If you don't listen to the word of God, whether it's me preaching or someone else, I'm here to tell you there's trouble ahead. I preach the message. You've heard me say it different times. The pain of sin will never change. I said it this morning. It's not going to change. Suddenly, somehow, sin's not going to quit being bad. 
The consequences are not going to suddenly be good. They're always going to be bad. You say, oh, preacher, I'm not doing this or that. Are you being faithful to God in every area of your life? Then if you're not, then you're sinning. <laughs> it's that simple. Is every thought under obedience to Jesus? Let me, let me get through this point here. <laughs> in verse 23, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out, and here it is, and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So number two, we have, number one, we have sin that gets in the way. Has anybody figured out what number two is? Well, unbelief, but it starts with an S. It said it in your Bible here just a minute ago. Suffering will bring unbelief. Situation can. Stress can. All of those are bottled up right here. You see, this father had suffered like no other father. It's no wonder he cried with tears to Jesus and said, Lord, please, if you can do anything for us, help us. Could you imagine what it would be like if some of you parents can relate to this? You know what it's like to have a child that's wayward, that something's wrong, and it's totally out of your hands. You can't do anything about it. You can't control it. You've done all you can, and there's nothing you can do, and you're standing there saying, Jesus, please help me. Help me. And sometimes we have to ask him to help us with our unbelief because situations can help bring unbelief. Let me explain to you real quickly what I mean. I just read it to you. Hopefully you got it, but just to reinforce it. So more than likely, this fellow had went to other people for help. I would say he had tried different things. He probably tried soothsayers. He had probably tried this and that and nothing helped and he went to the very same one who possibly was causing the problem. I don't know. People do that, believe it or not. And now he comes to disciples. He thought here is a winning combination. These guys are Jesus' right-hand men. They can fix this problem. If anybody can, they can. And he brought him to the disciples, and guess what? Nothing changed. By this point, I believe he's getting hopeless, and he's getting helpless. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, he was the last hope. He was the last chance, but she touched the hem of his garment and she was made whole at that point forward. And this guy's saying, Jesus, I know that you can do it, but I need help with my unbelief. There's sometimes, church, I've actually prayed and said, I, God, I don't have the faith and belief I know I need to have. I need you to help me. You say, how do you get help? You go to this right here and read what happened to this man. You read what happened to those people that I just preached about at Jesus' hometown. And that is how you say, I don't need to be like that. I need to trust him. I need to trust him. He's given us the recipe to fix your unbelief. You say, will everything change? I can't guarantee you that. I can't guarantee you it's all going to work out like we want it to. I wish I could. But I can tell you this, you've got a God that sits on the throne this evening who was more than able to fix every situation in your life. He can get a hold of your loved ones. If, and let me read this on real quickly and tell you the other formula to this. On down in the chapter here, <laughs> the Jesus, he asked the disciples to ask him, in verse 28, it said, when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, 
why cannot we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind cometh forth but by nothing but prayer and fasting. I know I hit on this this morning pretty hard. How often do you as an individual, not we as a church, because we do, the, do this from time to time and probably need two more as a church, how often do you as an individual do you fast and pray for what you want to see God do? And ask Him to help you with your unbelief. Are you willing to pay the price for that answer prayer? Most of us are not. And, and at church, I'm not trying to be mean. But I'm simply telling you, if you want your, your child, and when I say child, I mean hypothetically here. Whatever it may be, whatever your situation is, whatever thing is beyond your control, whatever thing is, is beyond what you can handle, whatever thing is troubling you, if you know you've got the sin out of your life, you say, I've got my life clean, I quit doing this, I quit doing that, I'm trying to do my best to live a clean life, then it's time to fast and pray and ask Jesus to help you with your unbelief. He gave you every instruction you and I need to get through that and to be encouraged by that and to see that prayer answered and to see change in your life and in the thing you're praying for his life. But you must honor him and do it his way. Not yours. So number one, sin will cause these problems. Number two, suffering can. Also had a situation written down there and I guess both fits. So let's move on over to the last chapter, Mark. Mark chapter 16 in a few minutes. I'll try to paint this picture for you and we'll move on. <laughs> Mark chapter 16. You still hear a few pages turning. Like I said, I, you all know I, I don't know, I've rarely preached like this, sometimes I do, but Mark 16, verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus just risen from the grave. Verse 9, now when Jesus was risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they murmured, mourned and wept. We also know from other accounts and other gospels that she was not alone, that there were others with her. And they also went and told. And he actually gave special instructions to tell Peter first. We know that. Him and John came running to the tomb. We know that. But here, Mark is telling his version of it. And I'm going to read verse 10. And uh, it said, And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had not seen of her, and had been seen of her, believed not. Verse 12, after that, he appeared in another form unto two of them, the two on the road to Emmaus. And as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Then verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So number three, unbelief will be caused by being scared. The reason I tell you I think God picked that on my place in my heart. This morning in Sunday school class we talked briefly about fear things we're afraid of, things that bring fear to our lives. I'm going to tell you what I think is the greatest thing that brings fear. The unknown. The unknown. Somehow, 
we feel like if we don't fully trust God that we can manipulate God of the situation to make it work out the way we want it to. Am I preaching to you or am I the only one here? I don't think I'm the only one. And because we are scared, that causes unbelief to start creeping up. And then God tells us to step out in faith and do something. Encourage us to do this or do that. Our unbelief stops it because we're scared. Now let's try to put ourselves in their position as much as we can. Let me, let me try to paint you a picture real quick. Um, this may be a bad illustration, but it's the best I've got. Don't amen this, okay? You understand. Let's pretend. And this been on Facebook. I don't guess this will get us in trouble. Who knows? If it does, it does. I'm not too shook up about it. Imagine that some people broke into the White House, captured President Biden, and took him hostage. I said, please don't amen the illustration. Don't get excited or tore up, upset, whatever your case may be on this illustration. And I'm going to explain to you why I'm telling it this way. In this country, would you agree he is the most untouchable person in this country? By far he is. He is the most protected of anybody in this country. If you've never been to D.C. in the last 10 years, there must be 300 men walking around that White House with a, a bulletproof vest on and they're not carrying pistols. And let me tell you, they will kill on contact. and They'll ask questions later. If you start any direction towards that White House past them, they are not going to knock you down. They're not going to run you down. They're going to gun you down. So I would say that he is the most protected person in our country. Would everybody agree with that? The most untouchable, by far. Not even a close second. So if someone broke into the White House, captured him, held him hostage, would it not shake you a little bit at your core to realize that could take place in our country? Now think about this for a minute. Put whatever president you want to put in office and that happened. Let me, re, let me change the illustration. For those of you that may feel differently, whether it be George Washington, that's pretty politically correct, but he was captured held hostage. It would shake you at your core. Let me go a step further. If someone broke in your house, captured whoever the most prominent adult is in that house and overtook them, would it not shake you? It would. Here was the one who had the answers for it all. This was God. This was the one who Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And they butchered him. They mutilated him. They killed him. And they put him into a, a tomb and the disciples witnessed every bit of it. 
Maybe not there firsthand, but they knew it had taken place. And everything they had put their faith and hope and confidence in was instantly, suddenly ripped away. They, everything that they had put their assurance in, all the things that they had trusted in was suddenly ripped away. It was gone. He was killed. Their hero was gone. No more. What were they going to do? The last time they saw him, he looked like a piece of meat hanging on a cross. Beaten, unrecognizable to a pulp. I've said many times, I'll say it again, I still believe his entrails were visible. Because the sacrifice in the Old Testament, they had to examine the entrails to make sure there was no blemishes. And I believe you could see the very organs of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. Another reason I believe that is because what the cat of nine tails did to people, if you'll study that out. And suddenly, they come by and said, He's alive. He's alive. They didn't come by and say, well now, Miss Mary, you ain't going to believe this, but he's alive. That's not how this, that's not how this went. Let me put it down to another level. Think the person dearest to you that has passed on and th- three days later somebody comes back and says they're alive. You're not going to believe this, but they're alive. They're out of the grave. Would you be calm about that? Neither would we. I want to tell you what I think it was. Hey, he's alive! He's alive! He's alive! You ain't going to believe this! He's alive! He's alive! He's alive! I think that's a little closer to how it was. But they were scared. The people who killed Jesus was looking for them. And their fear drove them to unbelief. Because of their fear... They could not believe the truth that they had been told, had been taught, and had walked with for three and a half years. So let me ask you something. What is it that's got you scared in your boots so bad that you can't trust Him? What is it inside of you that's causing unbelief? I mean, think about it. What are they going to do to us? Okay, we got COVID. Well, if you die, guess what? You go to heaven. That's not too bad of a deal. If, if I starve to death, I'm still going to heaven. I may not want to, I'm going to tell you, I can miss a few meals. It ain't going to shake me too bad. If I live in a tent, well, I mean, I'm not the only one living in a tent. I'll be all right. I'm going to heaven. I've got a God who says, I will take care of you. I have provided everything you need. Every resource we need to conquer our unbelief is right here. Right here in our hearts with the Holy Spirit living inside of us and in the volume of prayer. And you and I still are defeated by unbelief and every excuse we've got, Jesus has said, I fixed it. And we still don't believe it. Why? Because of sin because of suffering of a situation, because we're scared. What are we scared of? What is there to be scared of? Jesus made that very clear. He said, don't fear the one that can take your life and can do no more. Fear him who can destroy your soul in hell. That's the one you fear. I'll say this and I'm done. I'm much more afraid of being disobedient to God than what my obedience will bring upon me Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I'm much more scared of being disobedient to God and what the results of that will be than I am being obedient to God than what the results of that will be. Because if I'm going to go through something, if I'm going to suffer, I'd much rather suffer in His will than out of His will. I'll tell you that. I'd rather be where He wants me than outside of where He wants me. Well, I don't know the hearts of each one that are here. As far as I know, everybody here is saved, but there may be somebody that's not. Let me tell you something. This ain't no game. This is no fairy tale. This is real. Do you realize that somebody really did love you enough to die on a cross for you? To take your place? I, I preached a message one time, believe it or not, someone loves you that much. He does. Nobody else, there won't be anybody else in life that loves you, but Jesus does. He died for you. He gave his life for you. He suffered for you. He came to earth, lived a virgin born, lived a perfect sinless life for 33 and a half years approximately, died on the cross for you and I as punishment for our sins, was buried and rose again three days later for our justification, and He did that specifically just for you and I as individuals. Each individual person has to realize that and make that decision that one day they're going to come to the place that they're going to face Jesus Christ and you are going to decide whether you're going to reject Him or believe in Him with the Holy Spirit sitting there now knocking on your heart's door. Let me in. Let me in. I want to help you. The very thing you're looking for in life is, it is Him. He's got what you need and what you want. But if you don't have belief in Him, you will die in your sins and you will go to hell for eternity where there's no escape. It'll never end. I thought this morning, whoever said that, I don't remember who it was. I thought that was excellent. They said, there's a beginning. It was you, wasn't it? There's a beginning to our eternity, but there's no end. If you die lost without Jesus Christ, there's a beginning to your suffering in hell, but there's no end. There's no end. I, I'm done. Father, we thank you again for this time together. God, I, I did my best, Lord, to, to follow you, to preach what I feel like you gave me. Lord, I pray that I said something to be a help. God, as I said, I don't want to just waste time. I don't want to just fill time, Lord. I, I, I want to be effective. I want to instruct people. I want to help people. God, I want to help the people of this church. And I thank you for those that are here tonight. God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, for sure, God, if there's any doubts, God, about whether they're lost or saved, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you speak to them right now. You touch their hearts, and God, you bring conviction upon them for their sins. And Lord, I pray that God draw them near, give them the courage they need to believe in you. Jesus, we know that you died for us. And I thank you and I praise you for that. We know the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We also know that, Lord, the Bible tells us that if we die lost, we're going to die and we're going to go to hell forever and ever. But Lord, I thank you that you also told us that, Lord, we can uh, be justified by you, Jesus, that if we just trust in you, Lord, we know the Bible says that if thou shalt believe with thine heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. Mammoth and righteous, and with confession, mouth is made us into salvation. 
And God, I thank you that we can do that. Lord, if there's anyone here that's not sure, God, I pray that you give them the courage and now take the Bible and show them, Lord, what it means to be saved. And God, if there's someone here, Lord, that maybe they're struggling with some kind of unbelief in their life for whatever the reasons may be, I ask that you give them the courage to deal with that tonight, Jesus. And Lord, as we look to you, we're asking for help. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. As we stand, we get a song.